All right, everybody, welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, episode 162, uh, and today we are featuring the Poker Guys, so we're excited to have them join us uh, for the episode today. Uh, as always, we are sponsored uh, by Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and Hotel, as well as Learn Pro Poker. Uh, and so let's, uh, without further ado, let's introduce you guys to the Poker Guys, or let's let them introduce themselves. Who do we got here? All right, we're the Poker Guys. I'm one half of the Poker Guys. I'm Grant. I was waiting for Jonathan to talk there for a second, but he was just staring at his microphone. Um, yeah, we have, uh, for those who don't know, we have a pretty long-standing poker YouTube channel and podcast. Uh, we've been breaking down high-level poker hands for five years now. We just released a book that I'm sure we're going to talk about later. We're excited to talk about. And uh, yeah, we, we like making poker content. Happy to be part of yours. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm Jonathan. Uh, both Grant and I have been professional poker players for many years now, uh, as well as, as he says, we put out uh, two podcasts a week. We make two videos a week. We do commentary on a uh, 510 cash game every week as well called Poker Time, also on our poker channel. So yeah, we, got, we make a lot of content. We love poker. We're excited to be here. And how did you guys become the poker guys? Like, where did that start? Uh, well, it depends on how in deep you want to get. But, um, <laughs> oh, there's it, a story. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> the short story is that we living in Portland, Oregon, uh, are guys who were professional poker players when there weren't many of those in Portland. And there are these poker clubs and we met in, in one of them and we're like, hey, that's a guy who doesn't suck. Let's talk poker. <laughs> and from that, we uh, started a poker coaching business, just a local Portland poker coaching business. We decided let's make a little money on the side. We then started a podcast to promote the poker coaching business, started making videos to promote the podcast and kind of forgot about the poker coaching business altogether when things started kind of rolling and going better. Yeah, we, uh, there was that year where we went from, I don't know, like 300 subscribers to like 15,000 on YouTube. And we we're like, okay, well, something's happening here. And <laughs> that became a focus. And here we are all these years later, we, like our book just came out and we're, we're ex we love making poker content. It's my favorite thing to do. So, Well, congratulations on, on the success. And, you know, especially if you guys have this shared passion around it, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Fun. Did, Jonathan, did you used to host a podcast like back in 2006 timeframe with a lot of soy references? I, I did. Uh, the All In Poker podcast. I was the host of that. Wow, that was a long time ago. That was really rough too because uh, that was one of the very few poker podcasts that existed back then and no one knew how to do it, including myself. I didn't have a format or anything like that. So I would just rant about poker or anything else I felt like. I would rant about Marvel movies. I mean, I had no idea what to talk about. But yes, I did do that. Well, I listened to each and every one of those podcasts. Wow. So I thought your voice sounded very familiar, but I couldn't find the podcast anymore to see if it actually was right. you. So thank you for the confirmation. Uh, you're welcome. Nice memory. That's some quality like audio memory. I don't know why you would listen to Jonathan without <laughs> Grant. I don't understand. That's the point. You didn't know you existed. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Well, your current podcast is much better for whatever that's worth, whether it's because <laughs> Jonathan has gotten better or with the addition of Grant, but it's awesome now. Well, yeah. thank you. That's very kind of you to say, and also slightly disparaging to Jonathan, no. which I like. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's better with you. <laughs> Whatever. 
so and I, I I first came across you to probably like three years ago when I was, you know, because I, I, as part of the Rec Poker podcast, you know, we really are talking about people who are um, wanting to grow their game, but are mostly recreational players. They're playing sort of like $30, $40 tournaments, maybe 60 70 occasionally dabbling in like a $100, $200, $300 tournament. Um, and that and I really found a friend of mine recommended your podcast to me and it was the first poker podcast that I'd ever listened to. It was the first time I really wanted to take poker seriously. And it really, really did help my game. I think, I think. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about it, but I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, from your own perspective, um, you know, a lot of your breakdown hands are with sort of the superstars of poker. You know, you're talking about, uh, you know, the Alex Foxens and the Christoph Vogelsangs of the world. And you're talking about big decisions at nosebleed stakes. And how do you think um, people who are more recreational players can sort of, what, what can they gain from sort of the insights that you, that you bring about in, in terms of your podcast? That's a really good question, Chris. And I think, by the way, that we just did a breakdown that you suggested. I think you're that Chris Jones. Do you suggest I, hands on Twitter? I do. Okay, well, I it'll do. be coming out on... I'm also the guy who made the sigils. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, oh, that's so cool. Okay, you, so you went by a different we name. Lo- we like you. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of these guys, I don't know, but oh, you're man. all right. Yeah. <laughs> the sigils, that is some deep inside the poker guy's world stuff right there. We love yeah, yeah. the sigils. Um, anyway, almost forgot your question, but I think I got it back. Uh, I think the way that you can gain from our podcast, if you are recreational and you don't expect to be playing hundred gate tournaments at any point in your life is through the thought process, because that's what we offer. That's why it takes so long our podcast, because we go through every little decision also because we go on lots of tangents and that's fun too. But during, during the conversation of the hand, the actual analysis of the hand, we're figuring it out as we go. We haven't prepped. So you get insight into the way we are constructing these ranges, figuring out why players do what they do. And we might not always get the reasoning exactly right, although we, we think we do a pretty good job there. But the process itself is where the value is. It's, it's the process of thinking things through and, and understanding what are the factors in making these decisions. Yeah. And, and for your um, listeners who don't know about our podcast, so what we do is we take one hand for every show. It's like a 45 minute to an hour long show each time. And we just break down one hand. So we spend that much time on all the different decisions. So we'll often go down all the different branches of the decision tree. Um, sometimes we'll do thought experiments. We'll say, well, what if he didn't have a flush draw? What if he had this hand instead? What should he do now? So, and so that goes back to the mindset piece of it too, where it's like, I think the best way to get better at poker is to talk to people about poker and to listen to people who you respect and know things about poker. Um, and so when we're thinking about not just how would you play this hand in this situation, but how would you play a bunch of different hands, maybe not a, sometimes a full range, but sometimes just how would you play jacks in this spot instead of the hand that this person has? Um, I think that can be really insightful and you can take to your one-two game or your home game or your $100 tournament. Not always, but I think a lot of the time. Right. We're not trying to say we can, through osmosis of you listening to our podcast, make it so you can beat Alex Fox, and that's certainly not the case. But you can understand the thought process that leads to hopefully plus EV decision-making in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're often, especially when we're doing the best players in the world, um, we often don't know why they do the things they do either, you know? And so we do our best to guess and seek to understand what they're doing. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. Um, But a lot of it is just figuring out, well, what would we do in this situation and why? 
And then what do, what are they doing and why could they be doing that? And why might that be better than what we're doing or not? And, uh, and so I think there's a lot that we can be gained from, from listening to that process. Yeah. And one of the other encouraging things I think is sometimes you actually decide and you don't really pull punches. You decide that these, these great, great players are making big mistakes sometimes. Right. And that's, that's kind of a, a reassuring too, to like, think about, well, even, even those players are making these kind of massive sort of errors sometimes. Yeah. It's always a little bit like uh, there's a bit of dissonance there when we're finding a player that we have a ton of respect for and we see a play and we're just like, okay, so Sam Greenwood just limped. He open limped ace queen suited with 11 blinds. And then he three bet shoved on a king high flop with none of his suit. There's something there that we clearly don't understand. Greenwood has thought this through. He's not just spewing. This is a huge tournament. But I can't, I can't in good conscience say this is a profitable play. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's just not possible. When we had Daniel Negreanu on our show once, and we, um, we were asking him about a hand that he had played and we had analyzed. And uh, we did a reasonable job of thinking about that one. But we were talking about some of his other decisions. We were actually saying to him, we always give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that it's coming from like a really intelligent place and, and try and reverse engineer what's going on. And he said, thank you, but sometimes it's just a mistake. Like sometimes I, I'm just making mistakes. And so... At that point, he was like, I think, top five GPI type player yeah. at that point when we did it. I mean, he's clearly been one of the best players forever. So he's not, he's, he's humble enough and willing to sort of say things like that. Most players aren't. Um, everyone's making mistakes all the time in poker, even the best players. And I think uh, we should understand that. It's just a lot of poker is a race to like make the fewest mistakes and the smallest mm -hmm. mistakes, not so much make the best plays, I think. Uh, and since you mentioned. Comforting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. And since you mentioned mistakes, um, I'm actually really curious about, um, I mean, a lot, also some of your hands that you review are with sort of a rec player versus a pro. You know, you, there's a, there are hands that come up that you've done a lot of sort of breakdowns of. Um, and I'm wondering if there are some trends or some bigger mistakes that you see that rec players make all the time, that, that especially people listening to this show, that there, if there's one or two pieces of sort of advice or wisdom, you think like if you would just sort of focus on some of these bigger mistakes, you'd improve your game right there. Yeah, um, something that comes immediately to mind for me, and, and thinking about tournaments specifically as I'm saying this, is um, a lot of rec players make huge stack size mistakes, meaning they're, they call pre-flop. We actually just did a breakdown of the hand you recommended, and I think about it. Um, but they call pre-flop with um, way too small a stack where, with, where they really should either be folding or three-betting, usually raising all in, when they have somewhere between, you know, 12 and 25 blinds um, and they're calling with like in the hand we just did a, a guy actually the world champion call with a seven suited not out of the big blind not out of the big blind yeah. right um, and that's just a spot you can't profitably do that and I, I see recreational players do things exactly like that all the time where like a, a professional player would just they just can't ever show up with in those spots you know they, they are always going to be re-raising or folding always that's a good one um Another one is one that you've probably heard us talk about, Chris, if you listen a lot, is entitlement tilt, which I think is a lot more common in recreational players than professionals, where it essentially means if you have a good hand at some point in the hand, you get married to the hand because you felt like you are entitled to win the hand. So for an example being, if you have aces preflop and the board runs out with four to a straight and three to a flush, and there's a bet and a call on the river and you refuse to fold because you're like, well, I'm pissed off because I had aces preflop. I had the nuts at some point, so... I'm entitled to this pot, so I'm putting more chips in the pot. And it's a form of tilt that you see a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. one, one other thing that comes to mind, and then I don't want to do this forever, but uh, 
is preflop uh, raise sizing. And a lot of recreational players will vary their size of their raise based on their hand or the situation, mostly, mostly just their hand strength, though. And for players who have any players who are paying attention, that really gives away way too much information. And it makes it much easier to play against uh, certain players. I'm still thinking, I can think of a tournament even now, it's from years ago. It was a big tournament for the for the Portland anyway, which is where where I where we are. Um, where this guy raised under the gun, and he I think he five exited, and we were late. We were there were like twelve players left, and um, Max Young, who has won multiple circuit events, main events, and things like that, he's one of the two best tournament players in the city for sure. He, you know, he's a professional, goes on the road all the time. He folded ace queen on the button and I folded ace jack suited in the small blind because the way the guy raised and the guy when everyone folded the guy showed kings and I turned to Max and said I just folded ace jack and he said I just folded ace queen and, so, <laughs> and like if the guy just raised to a normal amount he would have gotten all the action he could have wanted with kings and instead mm -hmm. just because he added a little bit more chips to it he added two extra blinds or for him you know two and a half whatever it would be it completely changes the way we reacted to that yeah, to be fair, I think it's fine if you have a holistic 5Xing strategy, although it's not something I would generally recommend in a tournament. But if that's sure. your overall strategy and you do it with every hand when there's not an open limper, that's fine. But yeah, I agree with Jonathan completely. Um, well, I, I want to talk about your book too a little. Um, so, uh, tell, I mean, tell us about it. Why, why did you write it? What, how did you come up with the idea? I mean, obviously, it's sort of a, an extension of what you've already been doing, but why did you decide to sort of take it into book form and, and how did that come about? Oh, that's actually a, a great question. And it's, uh, it was kind of random. We, there's a, another poker author named Amanda Botfield who is, has written a book called A Girl's Guide to Poker. And uh, she asked us when we were in Vegas one year for the series to write a chapter for her as an example of a hand breakdown. And we did it and we were like, hey, why don't we just do this as a book and do a lot of these? So that's what we did. And it, <laughs> it took us about a year to get, it, to get it right and get everything how we wanted it. Um, yeah, the book is 37 Hands. They are text breakdowns, conversations between Jonathan and I. We think it's really fun. We think we've hit that sweet spot where you can enjoy reading it, but you can still learn kind of by accident as you go. Um, starting with the least complex hands, ending with very complex hands that even when we were editing for the 10th time, had to reread paragraphs of the stuff that we wrote down. So we think it's really fun and, and really wide ranging. I got to say too, for your audience specifically, this book is perfect. Um, because it start because it has this ascending order of complexity where it starts with okay you have pocket kings in the main event it's hand number one and you've just been re raised you've just been three bet what do you do and why and so we look at a player who actually was in that situation recently and what he did and why what he did was a mistake basically and mm -hmm. um, and we get we have a, a real conversation about it and and get specifically into what we think is incorrect about it and why it's problematic and we and so each chapter and there's short little chapters like three to five pages each chapter sort of builds on each one so that like it's just a little bit more complicated a little bit more complicated and because it's us having our back and forth and we're you know insulting each other and disagreeing with each other a lot as we do uh it's it makes it an easy and fun read instead of sort of a very technical book like grant was saying um where it's sort of like a lot of poker books are just sort of like i think most people don't read most poker books even if they have them because they're too mathy too boring, not interesting enough, um, or they're books that are just stories only, and they're fun to read, but you don't necessarily get anything out of it that you can apply. And our book is an attempt to 
bridge that gap. And at the end of every chapter, we have key takeaways, which we separate out and we point out exactly what we think are the main lessons you can learn from each hand. And uh, by the way, in in case we didn't mention it, it's called How Can He Fold? (laughs) Three question marks at the end. Uh, You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on thepokerguys.net, which can also lead you to Amazon. Uh, Thepokerguys.net is where you can get the ebook and it's available in Kindle apps as well. And you should buy four or five. Yeah, at least four or five. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and Jonathan, what's the subtitle? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> Incredible Poker Hands Broken Down Decision by Decision. I knew I was going to get that right. I, I right that. For at least a little I while. Yeah, you, you finally came around the, the bend on that one. Yeah. I, I've, heard it, I've heard it a few different ways over the, over the several podcasts, but you really finally, I think you got it down. It's, you know, those words are so easily <laughs> interchangeable. Incredible sure. Poker so, Decisions Broken Down Hand by Hand makes just as much sense. No, it so, doesn't. <laughs> The, the, first, the first hand in the book actually introduced a concept which you introduced to me several years ago through the podcast, which has been, I think, one of the biggest sort of like aha moments for me, and that is the concept of game theory disaster. Mm. And so I'm wondering if you can explain that concept to our listeners if they've never heard of it. Maybe we could even talk about that first hand in your book. But what, what is a game theory disaster and, and uh, how can it help you sort of improve your, your poker outlook? Uh, well, it's actually, it's probably, it's likely that if your listeners have not listened to our stuff, they haven't heard it. Cause I think it's actually an original term that we came up with. Um, it essentially means you're taking an aggressive action in which it is very hard for there to be a positive outcome. Like you're betting on the river. Let's say you're going all in on the river and the majority, if not all of the weaker hands than yours will fold. And the majority, if not all of the stronger hands than yours will call. And that's just obviously a disaster. And from a game theory perspective, clearly not good. So game theory disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think we did invent that one. It yeah. feels good. It feels good to have come up with a term that only we use. And now Chris does too. Yeah, yeah I do. Great. I do. It's, it's um, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the kind of thing where um, I think, uh, is it uh, Doug Hall? Yeah. Was, uh, he wrote this because he, he saw an early edition of the book and he wrote this about this same concept. And he said, I call that betting the king. And he's, he was referring to it on like an ace-king X board where someone, they have a king and they bet. And it's like, what good things can come out of this? Like, right. mostly we're only going to get called by hands that beat us. And that is a concept that I still see all the time, especially in like $100, $200 tournaments. People do, you know, where mm-hmm. someone makes a play and I'm just like, and they end up turning over their hand. I can't believe they decided to bet. Yeah. I, th- I think usually game theory disasters are born out of the lack of ability to understand where your opponent is coming from, the, the lack of thought of what your opponent's actions mean about their hand and what hand strengths are, are likely in their range. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the beginning. And the end is I put all my chips in because I have a hand that I like to put all my chips in with, but you didn't think about what the other person could have. Yeah. Right. yeah and I think it's also, for me, the logical extension of it has always been sort of this question of once you have that idea of what a game theory disaster is, then asking, well, what is it possible that my opponent can have that I'm hoping they have that they'll yeah. call me with? Um, and like, what, that's a question I always ask myself when I'm putting lots of chips on into the middle is just sort of, what am I hoping my opponent's going to have here that, that I'm wanting to get them to call me with? It's, it's honestly, I think a, a, for a lot of people, a game changing revelation, just of thinking like, if I raise here, what hands can call, what hands won't fold, you know? And it can be really, I think that when you, if, when you start to ask yourself that question, it really changes what hands you choose to raise with. Because right. when I see the hands that people raise with who are not professionals, you know, who, or more recreational, um, and not necessarily on the flop, but like on, tur- especially on the river, but turn in river, 
Or sometimes they'll be raising top pair on the river or an over pair on the river after someone went bet, bet, bet. And it's like, really hard to get called by a worse hand. And so like, I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with continuing range. I mean, what, what things can continue against, against my action, you know? And so I think about that all the time. And I, you know, anytime I can think of hands that are really good hands that I can beat, then I feel great about raising, you know? But when I can't think of them, I just usually don't raise unless I'm bluffing. Of course, there's a little bit of exploit in there. It's opponent dependent. And some guys you can raise top pair on the river because you know they're just a crazy, crazy spew guy. But that's, that's a rarity, you know? Yeah. So and a, another concept from the book, which I think has been helpful for my game, um, is the concept of distribution. Um, and I'm sort of, and especially when you're facing a really big decision, and I'm wondering... Uh, and kind of are like, I don't know what to do. And and I think something that you that you often talk about in both the book and the podcast is, well, turn to distribution if you're sort of like, I don't know what to do. Uh, but can you talk about what that means too for our listeners if they're not familiar with that concept? Sure. Uh, so distribution is, the idea of it is, where does this hand that I currently have in front of me fall into the range of hands that I would play this way? So for example, here's a hand that I actually played where I use distribution. Um, I was playing a, a cash game, a professional player uh, raised under the gun. I was plus one. I had ace-jack suited, I called. It was just the two of us to the flop. It was an ace-queen-eight flop rainbow. He bet, I called. Turn was like a deuce, a total not interesting card. He checked, and I bet my ace-jack, and he check-raced. Um, so I bet, I don't remember exactly, but I bet something like $85 and he raised to like, you know, 220 or something like that. And, uh, and I remember sitting there thinking, how many better hands do I have than ace Jack in this spot that I play this way? You know, like, I guess I have a few sets of Queens that I decide not to raise the flop, but I'm usually going to raise an ace. I flop if I have a set of Queens, if I have ace queen, I probably would have raised the flop. You know, I just don't, I just don't have that many better hands. Ace King, I probably raised pre-flop. So it's just really, really hard for me to have a hand better than Ace Jack here. So that made it a super easy call, even though the line my opponent was taking felt very strong and a hand that Ace Jack is not supposed to be good against. Like that, the, the hand doesn't, my Ace Jack doesn't do well against that line if it's, if it's not a bluff. Now, I also knew this guy was a, a professional, so he's capable of bluffing, which made it easier to call to. But so I called as a result and ended up winning the hand unimproved. Like he gave up on, he just checked, gave up on the river and he was bluffing and he just said, this is really, uh, this is such a strong line. How can you call? And I'm like, yeah, distribution. That's yeah. It's, <laughs> it's something that should be used sparingly though, especially in, in the smaller stakes live realm, because mm-hmm. you're going to have to rely on your assumptions about your opponent and tendencies that they have well before you get into distribution. Distribution is only for spots where you're truly confused and don't have any other method of making a decision because there are some players that'll check raise the turn there and you can fold the literal top of your range because it's lower than the top of their range and they always have the top of their range. Right. If they're not bluffing and you can't beat their, their value, then it doesn't matter. Then distribution is not important. Right. Um, but this, but it is something, especially we use a lot in our podcasts and our videos, because when we're talking about the best players playing against each other in the world, distribution does become very important because you need some way to make some of these really tough decisions when these guys are putting you in these crazy difficult spots all the time. Um, well, so we, we often on this podcast go over a hand together and I thought it'd be kind of fun to go over one with you. But before I introduce the hand, I just wanted to uh, throw it back to the panel and see if there's any other questions before I start in on, on a hand to review. 
Well, I'm just curious, you know, I've got, you know, you guys are so tapped into the to the whole world here. And, um, you know, as you think about like the best players that, you know, I mean, the pros that, you know, and then those that you've talked to, uh, in addition to sort of the obvious things of, oh, they're really good decision makers. You know, what are those characteristics that those players tend to have in common? You know, what, like what, so, in, in other words, maybe it's what sort of personality, what sort of character, what, what sort of common themes do you see that emerge in, in the best players in the world? I think um, for those who are consistently good year after year, it, the number one thing is discipline, um, not just with bankroll and stuff, but like actual tilt discipline, things like that. Understanding if, if you're capable of, of maintaining the same even keel feeling throughout poker and not tilting ever, that's great. I, I almost accomplished that in my poker life. I'm pretty untiltable. It's great. A lot of people, no matter how hard they try, can't help but tilt sometimes and they need to have the discipline to not play for a while if they're on any sort of life tilt or even leave a game in, in any sort of poker tilt situation. So I think discipline is probably the biggest thing as far as sustainability is concerned. I was actually going to say emotional control too, so that's pretty good. Um, since I can't say that because Grant <laughs> stole it, um, yeah. I would say that um, the pros uh, all have a plan for their hands almost every time. So like something that's really typical for even myself is, you know, I'll have whatever I have, I'll have ace king and the fob will come out ace high and I'll bet and the guy will call and before the turn card comes I'm already thinking about what cards am I betting? What cards am I checking? How much am I going to bet if this kind of a card comes or that kind of card comes? Um and thinking about possible river decisions at that point. So that I feel like um for a lot of non-professionals that is not anything that's happening, right? For a lot of non-professionals, it's just a moment to moment. Well, here we are now. What should I do? And that often isn't a problem, but once in a while, it gets you in huge trouble, you know, because you find yourself on the river in this spot and you weren't, you don't know how you really got there and you don't really have any way to get yourself out of it. And you either call make a bad call or a bad fold or a bad shove or whatever you do. Um, so just even trying to plan, I think is a big deal. Um, so a lot of the times I'll like on the flop, I'll flop, let's say a flush draw with no showdown, with no showdownable action there. So I'll have like a seven high flush draw. And I'll often think to myself something like, all right, I'm just going to triple barrel this unless I improve in some way. You know, so if I hit, if I hit a pair, maybe I'll, maybe I won't triple barrel, but this is a hand in this spot against this person. I'm just going to bet three streets. And if they call me on all three streets and I don't improve and I don't make it my flush, they get to win. But I've already decided that. And so it makes it easier to know what I want to do when I get to the river. Should I pull the trigger or not? This is a hand I've already decided I'm going to pull the trigger on. Of course, if your opponent starts giving you some crazy physical tell that they are right. never folding, you can change the plan <laughs> midstream. But yeah, I agree with that in most part. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Others? It's all you, Chris. All right, let's <laughs> jump into this hand. All right, so actually, I'm really curious about... Uh, everybody's take on this hand um it's one i played this weekend uh this is a 500 hundred dollar tournament of running aces called the avalanche uh we're sitting at uh 42 000 in chips and the levels are 500 1000 1000 um and i am under the gun two uh with 10 of spades 10 of clubs and so i opened to 2800 um and our villain in this well first of all is there i mean that's pretty standard, right? No one, no one, I can move on to the next action. Yeah. I uh, mean, we have things to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have things to say about every decision. Always, right. We can do this quickly. Go. Um, I don't have as much to say as Jonathan does. I think, I think Jonathan wants you to make it smaller. Yeah, that's, I, yeah. Would, I wouldn't bet that. I wouldn't, right. I would when make you, it like 23, 40, 22. 42 blinds effective. You should probably be 
your opening size in general, I, I would I would typically go a little smaller. Unless you feel like you're the worst player at the table by far, or like among the worst players at the table, then you want to pump up the variance in general. I mean, there are other reasons too. If there's someone in the big blind who calls a lot, you could yeah. you could make it a little more. But as a general rule, I, I would make it smaller. This is obviously a very nitpicky point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, so I could make it smaller, and the cutoff is who's our main villain in this uh, uh, hand has just joined the table this orbit. Um, I don't recognize him, but he looks to be sort of a solid grinder type. Um, he's the better players at the table. The two players I know at the table who are like the best players at the table uh, joke with him as he sits down. So I, I think that he's he's known among the best players at the table. Um, he has uh, sits down with 140k. Uh, in front of him and is definitely the table chip leader as he sits down. Um, so he calls uh, and the big blind also calls. So we go to the flop with about 10,000 in the pot. And again, I have 10 of spades, 10 of clubs, and the flop is 10 of hearts, eight of diamonds, three of clubs. So action is on me. There's 10,000 in the pot. Um, what's anyone doing here? Well, I'm betting over here. Uh, I think it's a pretty clear bet. It's a board that you can get action from some hands. There are gut shots and open-enders that can call you. There are middle pairs that can call you. Certainly, you block top pair. But it's the type of board that is relatively range neutral, so there's no no GTO reason for you to be checking, really. Um, so I think when you have this hand and, and you have 40 blinds left in your stack, you want to build a pot. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hands you could check here, but this is probably not one of them. Uh, you just have the nuts. It's great to have the nuts. There are a lot of there's there's some really good second best hands out there once in a while. Um, other hands that they can really decide to call with, like Grant saying, like Queen Jack or something like that. They can also have the last ten. It seems like a pretty clear bet. I, I like a bet. So I I do. I agree. I, uh, and I, I think I would be leading out here with this sizing with overpairs, some Broadway gut shots, backdoor flushes, that kind of thing. So I lead out for 2000. Um, can talk about whether I, I like a small size here with a plan on the turn to go bigger. Um, and the cutoff calls me and the big blind folds. I don't know if anyone, what do you think about the sizing here? I would like to let somebody else talk, but I'll yeah. go, I'll go again. Um, I think it's too small. I think we are at a stack depth right now where our main goal should be double up in this hand, if, if at all possible. I, I can see 2000 making that happen if we know more about the opponent and we know that they pounce on these types of sizings. Like we're trying to induce just craziness. Um, if we're trying to maintain a lot of our opponent's range, staying in the hand, it's, I don't, to me, it's not worth the extra 2000 we get from pocket fives versus if we make it 5,000 or 4,500 or whatever for the, the linear gains that we get from, from bigger sizing down the road, if our opponent has a, a hand that can maintain three barrel calling, you know, it, it feels like that is a little bit more profitable than the potential spaz out factor that we can create by inducing a raise with a small bet. Yeah, I like that. I agree. I agree. I think between four and 4,500 is, is a stronger size because it sets you up down the road of this hand to, to make big bets by the river. Cause we have, we have a really nice opportunity to triple barrel. Um, and if the guy has something or decides not to fold for whatever reason, you might be able to get it all, you know, mm-hmm. get the, get the full double up. And that should be your, your goal, I think. And a guy who has 140 K when he sits down, you can make some assumptions about, yeah. and one of those assumptions can be, he's more likely to be one of the guys who's less likely to fold. 
because he got those chips by putting chips in the pot. And oh, yeah. 2K, the difference between 2K and 5K to him is is less significant than it is to most other people at the table. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he may still not feel that way, but for a lot of guys who've got a lot of chips, it's so much easier to throw those chips in there. Mm-hmm. Also, it is kind of typical to size up a bit more in a three-way pot versus a heads-up pot in general, mm-hmm. just as a holistic strategy. Yeah, and this, and this board, we're just, we can just yeah. do this forever. <laughs> this board uh, is not necessarily advantageous to you range-wise. I would, mm-hmm. Grant, Grant called it range-neutral. I, I would say it's even a little bad for you compared to their ranges. Um, but So as a result, but it certainly isn't strong for you. It isn't like an ace-king X board where you have ace-king and they don't. You have aces, they don't. You have kings and they don't. Um, so, so you want to, I would say generally you want to bet more on a board, which isn't advantageous to you than the boards. If this is an ace king X board, I like 2000 still feels really small, but I like betting smaller on a board like that. Okay. Um, all right. So we go to the turn pot is 14,000. I have 37 K behind, uh, the turn is the six of hearts. So we have a board now of 10 of hearts, eight of diamonds, three of clubs, six of hearts. So nine, seven gets there, backdoor hearts come into play. Um, but I'm still thinking, well, I'm still thinking I'm betting here, but uh, anybody want to think otherwise? I like a bet. Okay. I'm on team bet. Yeah. All right, team bet. <laughs> um, and so again, there's 14K in the pod and I bet out 9K. Okay, um, so this was the plan all along, kind of size it up as you go? Yep. That was my, my original, I was going to do a down bet and then size it up on the, on the turn if, I, if he kind of came along. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I like starting to size up here. You have 37 left because it sets up a shove on the river now if you, if you get called. So I, I like that. Um, sometimes that, that jump in size can scare players off, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people do it. They bet small, get the call, and then scare the guy off on the turn. Um, I still like I still like a 4K bet or 5K bet, and then we can bet like if you bet nine or 10K, it's a much easier call for them because the pot will be bigger. But hey, I like the 9K bet for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's probably good, and I think um, the the following up the small sizing with the bigger sizing is generally a good idea, especially against a thinking player because he's gonna know that a a bet is coming on the turn a lot if if you size so small on the flop. So if he's already in that categorical mindset, it might make it easier for him to call any, any size bet, maybe not an all-in or type thing, but like with a hand like ace-eight, uh, if he's thinking like, okay, this guy's going to size up the turn, so I got to call with my, my eights here and stuff like that. So yeah, I like it too. Do you think, the, uh, do you think that bet on the flop actually provokes any folds uh, from him? Like, does he fold anything to that 2K in position on the flop? Like, can we actually uh, uh, reduce his range here a little as a consequence? Um, well, I think you get like the baby pairs to fold. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you get king queen to fold. He then. has a guy behind him, so yeah. he can't just call with everything, but almost everything, right? Like deuces is going to fold, right? Like something like that. It was a uh, ten eight three, so like four or five suited is going to fold. And like yeah, that. but but you're right. You're certainly right. Yeah. Very few things are going to fold for two. Right, I agree. That's that's a fair point. All right, so he he thinks for a bit and he calls. So um, pot is now about 31K and I've got about 28K behind. Um, and here's, here's where I got a little lost. The river is the 10 of diamonds. So I make quads. Good place to great, get lost. Right? Good, yeah. Good uh, we're, we're all so sorry, Chris. <laughs> uh, that's what a do bad, I do? It's, it's, a, it's a bad river for you, man. But, but this, is the, this is the spot where yeah, like, sure. I find myself sometimes, and I feel like this is a spot where you find yourself sometimes, where you own the board, just completely own the board. 
and you've got somebody who's been tagging along with you and I've got a pot size bet left and I'm out of position. So is this a spot where I just shove and hope I get a call? Do I get cute, try to do some blocker bet and hope that they get annoyed with their nines or their eights and, or not eights, but their nines or their sevens and get, you know, kind of come over the top of me? Do I try something in the middle? What, what, are, you, what are you thinking I should do here? I, I'm thinking shove. Yeah. I'm thinking shove all day. Um, Absolutely. I, I expect nines and sevens and hens like that are just going to call the blocker bet anyway. They're probably not going to feel the need to turn right. their hand into a bluff. Uh, the 10 is supposed to be terrifying to you. And if this guy's a good player, Jonathan likes to say this on the podcast a lot. It's always good if you can tell a bad story to a good player when you want to get called. Like that's, hmm. that's a good thing to do. And the 10 is really a lot more uh, all over his range than it is yours. He's the guy who has way more 10s in his range. You should be terrified if you have an overpair, which you might have played this way right. the entire way. So he could talk himself into a hero call pretty easily here. I, I like a shove. If he was holding on with pocket fives, he decided to call the turn with pocket fives. When this river comes and you shove, it's really hard to fold a hand like that, I think. But if you check, he's just going to check it back, thinking mm -hmm. he wins enough of the time and you're giving up, right? But if you have king, queen, and you just decide to go for it, I would sit there. And if I had any pair at all, it'd be really hard for me to fold if you shoved. I might, you know, depending on what I know about you, but... It's like you basically have to have a, a, a 10 or a full house. Like trip 10s at a minimum. Yeah. That's it. That's like you, you just can't, like you can't shove aces here. I don't think. No. So that makes it, that cuts out so much of your value. And maybe you can still have all your bluffs if I don't know much about you. Maybe it's hard right. to fold. So I like a shove too. Yeah. So, so what I was actually trying to do with this bet was to like basically, I bet out 16K thinking that looks more like aces, kings, queens, jacks. So it looks like an overpair. Um, that, uh, you know, and I'm trying to just get that called versus the shove. Um, but I'm actually thinking that was a mistake in the end. Um, well, I assume his range typically is a little bit weaker than those hands that you're describing there, aces, kings, queens, jacks, the hands that he can show up with, and you know that he doesn't have a 10 because you have quads right, in your right, actual right. hand. So if you're, you, I, I don't like the idea of trying to represent aces, which is a weaker hand than what you have, because it's still probably better than what he has. You know what I'm saying? So he's still, he's still probably going to fold if he puts what your story is together the way that you want him to. Yeah. He's going to put you on aces, and then he's going to fold his pocket nines. Yeah. I agree, Grant. I think you want to choose the most polarizing sizing possible here, which is all in. So that way, you, if you're going to have bluffs, this is the sizing you would take with them. I don't know mm -hmm. if you have bluffs here. You may have zero. But, let's, but if you had any at all, this is, you would almost certainly just go all in. And yeah. so, perfect. You're, you are definitely polarized. You have the best possible <laughs> hand. That's yeah. cool. Um, so that's, it's a great time to do it. If you have any bluffs here at all, wonderful. Right, right. Well, he folded. He folded pocket nines face up. So um, Really? He might, yep. I mean, maybe he's folding them no matter what he you might, do. He might have yep. folded anything. You, it's you may not be able to get more value. Yep. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to get paid with quads, especially when it's the top card on the board, you know? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty yep. much long and short of it. Yeah. Any other th thoughts from the panelists on that? Well, I guess anytime you're in a spot where it's hard to get paid, that feels like there must be a good bluffing opportunity there with other hands in your range, right? So I was just trying to think about like what what hands can I get there with the action that way, and then turn that into a bluffing opportunity on the river. Um, so any particular hands jumping out at you guys for that? 
Queen Jack stands out. Yeah. Queen Jack is a hand that I would probably triple barrel on this yeah, board. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's a great thought, though. Yeah. It feels it's a good thought. It, I mean, the trouble for getting paid also is that, like, the reason you the reason that it. I like the shove is because the 10 is supposed to be scary to you. So that means typically you're not going to have as many bluffs because the board ran out in such a way that your opponent has a range advantage. So it makes it tougher to get paid if your opponent can put together that you're not supposed to have as many bluffs. That said, I think it's probably still the best way to get paid. Yeah, I mean, this one's especially tough to get paid because we block the 10s, yeah, right? So right, it's right, really right. hard to get paid on this one. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, Queen Jack is a good answer for that. And uh, If we can show up with Jack-9 suited, I don't know, you're under the gun too. I don't know if you yeah. have that hand. Hands, hands like that. Queen Jack suited though. Yeah, there, that's four combos right there. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking that the uh, your your thought process at that time is how am I going to get more money out of this guy? When you've got the board so locked up, you don't know how you can do it. And I think what Chris did is he made sure he didn't get any money out of him because by betting that sizing, the only thing he could have that wasn't a ten is like you said, aces, kings, queens, jacks, something like that, which the nines are going to fold all day. So the only way he could have possibly got paid off, I think you guys are exactly right, is to go all in and hope the guy thinks you're bluffing. Because why would you go all in with quad with quads, right? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people do think that, yeah. Totally. All right, well, anyone else? No? Uh, good stuff, man. I love it. Right. I love, so, so give me – so for, for the folks that are listening out there, you know, they just had an opportunity to hear Grant and Jonathan kind of break down a hand, you know, Chris's hand here. Tell, tell the folks a little bit about, is this what they would expect if they say, you know what, I love these guys. These guys are fantastic. This is going to help my game, help me take it to the next level, breaking down hands the way that they do. You know, we, we believe that all tides rise. So I'm not like, oh, you're rec poker people. You can't listen to the other podcasts. You know, if, if, if our folks can find value from you guys, is this sort of typical of what they would expect by tuning into your podcast, by reading your book, or is this a little bit different than what they would normally expect from you guys? This is slightly different. Um, the, I'd say this is a little bit more akin to how I would approach a coaching session because we're interacting with a player who played the hand. So it's slightly different. Um, I would say that it, it, it is pretty indicative of what we do uh but we you know like jonathan had mentioned we go 45 minutes on one hand so we get a lot more in depth in the podcast i I would say though the book specifically this is like especially the first half of the book this is like really what we're doing in the book like very much so um and our videos um both the cat so we so we have two different kinds of videos where one is a uh we do an analysis video where we basically one of our podcasts so if we do it it's a 15 minute video instead and so that's a little bit less intense and a little bit less complicated um and we include like i just edited one of the videos today and include some definitions of things so people who are more recreational can follow along a little bit easier like we define distribution we define the word uncapped things like that and we also do a 510 cash game which we do commentary on every week it's called poker time comes out on tuesdays and that's where we're talking about the hands that are being played as they're being played and so we don't get into very deep analysis very often at all but we do some level of analysis a lot and i think that's actually great for recreational players because we're often commenting on if we think this is a good hand to raise here if they should just be folding this hand this is a good call or not and why um and it says these are situations that come up all the time in poker games 
And, and I think that's so good. I mean, we, we continue to encourage people, you know, to understand the principles behind it. You know, we're all rec players too on the panel. You know, none of us are experts. We're not pros. We're trying to figure it out ourselves and we're, you know, in the process of learning. But I think so many times people get caught into this micro learning trap where it's, you know, how do I play pocket fours under the gun, you know, versus the principles behind it. And it sounds like that's what you're getting at is the reason you're breaking down these hands is not so that you know how to play pocket tens when you hit quads and you're out of position on the river. It's what are the principles behind it? And uh, so maybe talk a little bit about, about that, how you sort of, you know, you're, you're breaking out individual hands, but how you learn the principles. And then maybe it's <laughs> a long question, but uh, also sort of the value of learning in community. I mean, you guys have each other and presumably others. We have our, you know, our group here that we're always wrestling with questions. And I know there's folks that I talk to at the casino that are, you know, they're trying to learn the game and they're listening and they're watching videos on their own, which is good. Uh, but they're not, they don't have people to kind of, you know, wrestle with stuff. And I'm constantly encouraging them, find that one or two people that, that you can just dig into, you know, ask each other questions and, and dig in. So talk a little bit about, you know, kind of that, like how, how do you move past the specifics of the hand to getting to the principles of it? And then how, how do you best learn in community? Uh, to the, the first question, I think the, the answer is not what people want to hear, but it's just like putting in a lot of work. I think uh, because the principles are what underlie what all of our decisions are for all these little micro decisions that are extremely important and the micro decisions might not seem important at the time. But just as an example, we were talking about Chris's hand opening to 2,800 instead of a slightly smaller sizing is a micro decision that we think is like in, in minuscule ways, slightly minus EV. So what we do through our podcast is we look at all of the decisions people made, including sizing, including distribution is a great example, which you asked about earlier. Like, and we go through and we do the work, the combinatorics work, which is a, a, an element of distribution um, on the podcast. And we do it every time that it comes up in the podcast. And so doing the work, going through it, understanding the process over and over again is really how you establish those principles, in my opinion. And just talking to the mindset piece of it, I think it's really important, as you're saying, not to get caught up in the this one spe very specific thing, although that can be useful to talk about, but talking about um, bigger things, bigger strategic pieces, because like we, we, when we do coaching, we, we give out a questionnaire to our potential clients and they fill out stuff. And one of the questions is, someone, you're in a tournament, it folds to the button, who goes all in, they have three blinds and they go all in. It folds to you, you're in the big blind, what, what range of hands are you calling with? And a vast majority of the people who fill out that question get it incorrect. And the answer is your entire range. You don't have to look at your cards. You just put the chips in because the pot odds mean that you're getting a, a good enough price to call with everything. And so if you can understand that concept, that means you're, you're going to be in situations like that if you play tournaments regularly a fair amount, especially if you play like $100 tournaments where right. the blinds go up so fast, you know, where you're absolutely going to be priced in to make some blind calls or calls that are almost blind. And you're like, well, I have to call with almost everything instead of what people normally answer that question is like, well, you know, all pocket pairs, big aces, you know, they, they pick like 20% of the hands they can have instead of all of the hands they can have. So like if they're folding 80% of their hands and they're doing that fairly regularly, because that's going to be a situation that comes up over the course of years that cost them not just thousands, millions of chips, millions upon millions. So if you can understand strategically something, understand why it is the way it is and apply that, that's going to affect you 
all over the place. Sort of like when Grant's talking about the um, the sizing difference, not 2,800, but maybe 2,300. That's 500. That doesn't feel like a lot. But if you do that every time for every raise for the rest of your life in a tournament spot and more or less that blind situation, wow, that's going to really change things in terms of how you control the pot, how committed you feel, um, how much you have every time you lose that hand you know, for next time, that extra 500 chips adds up over time or the pots, you know, you can control things a little bit better. So I, I, so the mindset piece is, I think, so important. And it's important to be able to see it, like being able to take that step back to be able to see it. Uh, to your second question regarding like having a group to talk to, I, I guess I can't really do anything to add to it other than agree with your perspective that it is one of the most important things in poker learning. I was fortunate enough to go to college with two guys who happen to be really good poker players. One of them won the monster stack in 2016. The other one's final table, the world series, a world series of poker event. And I talked poker with those guys as I was like learning poker and, and, you know, then meeting people like Jonathan. And without that, I certainly would be from a theoretical perspective, certainly, but also from a practical perspective, a much worse player. So I agree. And I think the community thing that you guys are building here is a great idea as well. Yeah. It's, it's more fun. It's more engaging. It's, it's just better in every way. I've been lucky to always have a poker community around me since the very beginning of when I started playing poker, which was right after I saw Chris Moneymaker on TV in 2003. Um, and I sort of like went from just being with other people who were also recreational players, which was awesome. And then a few of them got really good and be, sort of transitioned to professional players. And then I befriended uh, a guy who ended up becoming a triple bracelet winner. And so I got the benefit of being able to talk hands with him and really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I just, just having people you respect, trust, believe in, um, and be able to talk poker, disagree with them about poker too. Like me and Grant and the guy who won the monster stack this summer often would at the world series, we get into long disagreements about a strategic point, you know, we're yelling at each other and, get, and keep bringing <laughs> it up and all this stuff, but that's really healthy. And, yeah. and it, it inspires yeah. us to think more about it and, and go and, really open it always opens me up to new things that i wouldn't even consider sometimes and it's like well what if you what if i play that aces that way instead that's really weird but would it be better and instead of just dismissing it out of hand which i might do um to someone who i didn't necessarily respect or trust so that community is awesome love it chris did you have anything else no i think uh, this has been great this has been it's just been a real real pleasure to, to talk to you guys so but yeah no i'm i'm good any other panelists just great getting a couple of luminaries in here you like this you know it's fantastic <laughs> this guy's got the references this guy's yeah. got all the references nice to have some fans <laughs> well it. you know we were we are fans that, that's the thing you know we you know part of part of the reason we like to have guests on is uh we want to introduce the people that are listening to this show we've been growing our audience and we've been building our connections and we love the relationships and we we love the community we love all of that stuff and learning together but we also know that you know not everybody resonates with us not everybody resonates with people on the show you know that that's just going to be reality of it and we also know that there's people out there with great podcasts like yourselves and when we're saying man if what we want to do is we want to help people improve their game and, and grow the game altogether. and if if there's resources like you guys that we can point people to, let's go. And so, you know, we like to have people on, you know, on the show that not everybody maybe knows, but they should. And so that's it. And then we also like to partner that with, uh, let's have people on the show that can actually add value immediately in that episode. And you guys have done that. So that's the, you know, that's sort of why we like to have guests on to kind of accomplish both of those things. And so I want to encourage, you know, who's ever out there, Rec Poker Nation, who's ever out there listening, you know, look these guys up. And uh, Grant and Jonathan, I want to give you another chance to kind of make sure we know clearly where they can find you, whether it's social media, is there a website, the book, 
you know, tell us a little bit more, you know, take, I give you the platform uh, to, right. to, to talk about yourselves and let people know because we think that you can improve people's games and that's what we want. Well, we definitely appreciate that lead up. That's excellent. Um, we are on Twitter at two poker guys, the number two poker guys, where we tweet about stuff that we put out. Our book can be found at thepokerguys.net, which uh, can bring you to Amazon to get the, the paperback, or you can get the ebook at thepokerguys.net. Our YouTube channel is just The Poker Guys. You can find that by Googling it or you know going on YouTube. And our podcast is called The Breakdown Poker Podcast with The Poker Guys. And I'm sure we'll create seven or eight more pieces of media to talk about eventually also. <laughs> Before we release this tomorrow, there'll be more content. Yeah, so yeah. A, We're the the second book show. will be out and there'll be another channel. And it's, all gonna, it's not going to be about poker. It's going to be about <laughs> animals, but it'll... It'll be good and insightful, this new oh. show that we're making. Well, wait now, wait now. Let's go ahead. What, you want to tease that out a little bit? Yeah, let's, let's, okay. let's tell them a little right, about so it. So imagine a, a small room and an alligator. Yeah. And then imagine if you put a very scared man in that room. Mm -hmm. And that's the show. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in. Like, that's all I need. Like, okay. uh, I've, I've, I've been chased by elephants and hippos before. So oh, an really? alligator would be new. Yeah. So, you know, this, this, I'm already in. Let's go. Oh, you're a volunteer. Have, have you ever played uh, the game Risk? Because yes. this is a combination of the crocodile. It's a crocodile. It's an alligator. An alligator. So I think oh. I, they look the same. This is just like the subtitle. <laughs> yeah, you guys seem like you got this thing nailed. Alligator, guy in room, the, the board game Risk, and there can only be one winner. Yeah. That's that's the that's the as much as I feel comfortable teasing. Yeah, right it's now. a little bit. We don't want Amazon to steal our idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've heard that. I've I've heard that exact same idea several times. You guys should probably get on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <there's> leaks everywhere. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, keep us posted, man. Whatever whatever's going on, okay. whatever projects you guys end up working on, uh, let us know. We're happy to to retweet that and get people uh, engaged with that as much uh, okay. as, as that's much awesome. as we can. Appreciate it. Yeah. Of in course. the meantime, uh, your listeners can just check out our book. That's probably the best way. Yeah. Out. Yeah. To, to reach us right now how can you fold yeah hey i actually <laughs> i do have a question marks. is there is there a sequel in the process to the book well that that is something that we've discussed and we haven't actually begun the process yet but it's certainly a possibility that's about yeah, as far yeah. as i can take it's, it right now it's possible it's a it's that's a it's at. a lot more work than it feels it's like it's gonna be when you start writing a book so yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah you get you guys don't realize this but uh so i'm in the middle of writing a book but the person helping me it's not a poker book uh is chris jones who you're talking to right now ah. he's actually he is an author and he works with authors so when you speak of the difficulty of writing a, writing a book he he's well versed in that yeah probably more well versed than we are we just wrote a poker <laughs> book he's probably writing about stuff that matters <laughs> Well, I wrote a book about books, so it's sort yeah. of like the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Anyway. Well, we, you know, we, we want to honor your time. You know, we committed to a certain amount of time. We want to honor that and, and appreciate you guys coming on. If there's anything else that comes up in the meantime, shoot me a note. We'll make sure we include it in the show notes and, and let our folks know. But uh, seriously, thanks for jumping on here and being part of the show. Our yeah, pleasure. We, we really appreciate it. It was, it was great. great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks All right, cool. Well, we've yeah, got thank some. Thank you. <laughs> all the waving all the way yeah so you guys can go ahead and check out we got some uh, some housekeeping things that we have to do you're welcome to hang on here but uh nothing that'll really interest you i don't think but uh right. thanks again guys yeah, yeah thanks thank for you. it was really great yep all right all right everybody well there they go uh grant and jonathan the poker guys uh we'll make sure that we put everything in the show notes for them uh fantastic guys boy and they they certainly have the smooth voices too right i mean they just sound like they've been on radio for a while right I just want to know how they've managed to overcome their obvious lack of chemistry. That yeah. must have been a real issue for them in the workshop getting <laughs> to that point because just two guys that cannot stand to be in the room together. I feel sorry for them. 
Yeah, I was actually quite surprised that they were in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> and well, any um, we, we'll take care of some of the housekeeping stuff here, but uh, by by that I mean announcements. It's not worthless. It's good good announcements. But before we jump into that, anything from you know John? Well, John, do you have anything that you want to share or follow up? No, I was just uh, finally. I you know I, it had been bugging me, wondering if Jonathan Levy was the same voice from that podcast yeah. from years ago. So I am so glad I was able to put that my mind at ease and answer that question. So did you recognize the name or was it not until he spoke that you were like, wait, I recognize that voice. Well, no, I listened to his new podcast, right? Yeah. And, and listening through, through them, it's like, he sounds exactly like the guy who was on this other podcast. And I couldn't remember the name of the podcast, but I remember a number of the jokes and he kind of had a shtick on there, uh, talking way too much about soy treats, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) It was uh, just interesting. I was glad to finally confirm that yeah. it was, in that fact, the same voice. So do you feel like you will now be able to sleep better at night? Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. That's what we're here for, John. I think uh, I'll be able to sleep better at night because uh, Game Theory Disaster, that just helps me. I had one of those in our little home game. I don't know. I don't know if I'll take a second here. The username Spot Conlin. I don't know if he's a member of our... Uh, Dan Kennedy. Our, Oh yeah. Okay. So you'll yeah. just put him out there. Uh, <laughs> sure, sorry. Yeah, he's, he's a guy I actually work with. Oh really? Okay, yeah. cool. Well, we had a, we had a hand in the first orbit where I ended up bet uh, three bet shoving the flop uh, where he raised my flop C bet. And uh, I'm pretty sure that my shove there was a game theory disaster. It was one of those perfect. <laughs> and I, 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 as soon as I did it, I thought to myself, Oops. I'm pretty sure I've created one of those spots where I've just, shoved a medium strength hand and now he gets to do everything perfectly and i uh dan is that dan kennedy did you say yeah dan kennedy uh, spot conlin reach out on the d on the instant messaging in the mighty networks and let me know what you had because i i'm that hand is i'm still beating myself over that hand and i and i won it and i got to move on but it still feels like the worst hand i played of the whole, hmm. whole game now i know what to call it so thanks poker guys yeah, I love that concept. It's just beautiful. And it just, you know, it's like, because we always talk about this sort of like, you know, what can he have? And, you know, we're, we're letting them play perfectly. But if you can just sort of like put it down into this one little concept that's just kind of beautiful. And I'll just, I will just plug myself before we close. Just like, this book is really good. If, if, you, if you haven't read it, it's, I, I think it's immensely useful. So um, I would recommend picking it up and reading it. Awesome. Well, one of the, one of the things I just loved about what Jim just shared and what you shared in your hand that you did too, Chris, both of those situations you just talked about, I know Jim was briefly, but with their hands that you won. And right. I think that that's so insightful to a lot of recreational players that you shouldn't just be looking at hands that you lose saying, oh, I'm such an idiot. I made a mistake because you maybe didn't, but you should also be looking at hands that you won and say, did I play that correctly? Did I maximize value? Was it a mistake? Jim shoved and it got through, but maybe it was a mistake. Chris, you know, bet, 2,800 and then 2,000 and then, you know, whatever, then, you know, didn't shove the river. Like is he won a nice big pie. You had quads. Oh my God, that's a victory. And we just celebrate it. But I think taking the time to say, yeah, but did I, did I play that optimally? And I think that's a huge learning that I had. I know a few years ago, like I shouldn't just be looking at the results. Uh, I should be looking at how, what decisions I made and those micro decisions, like he said, those 500 chip decisions that add up over the course of your career. Uh, So I love that you guys both kind of called out hands that you won. Uh, questioning how you played them. 
So the way I interpret what you just said, Steve, is that I should assume I'm an idiot until proven otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you and I think alike, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for paraphrasing, John. You're always able to say things in 10% of the time that I take. <laughs> Thanks, John. You're welcome. Oh, well, where's that mute button? Oh, there it is. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, let's, uh, Chris, thanks for leading that discussion. Uh, I know you're a big fan, and uh, obviously they recognized you and your engagement on Twitter and stuff, too, so that was fantastic. Uh, but let's, let's uh, finish up the podcast with some, some cool things. Um, just to let you guys know, if you haven't been following us on Twitter, we got some pretty average guests I would say, coming up uh, in the show. Um, so the poker guys today. Uh, next week we have John Redding, uh, who some of you know from Minnesota. He's a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Uh, he's done a lot of things in, the, in terms of training uh, his mental game. He's actually uh, – maybe I'll let John break the news. He's, he's into some, some kind of cool thing outside of poker uh, that's pretty exciting. So you'll want to hear him there. Uh, January 27th is uh, a very uh, lesser-known player uh, from Germany. His name is Fedor Holtz. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of him. Ow! ow. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, so Fedor is going to be on uh, January 27th. We're obviously thrilled to have him, and he's another guy that's uh, doing a lot of things outside of poker. So it'll be interesting to talk to him about uh, his life endeavors and obviously his his millions of dollars of success on the felt. If you don't know who Fedor Holtz is, uh, Google him. You'll be you'll be quite impressed. Uh, February 3rd, Dara. Do you say Dara or Dara? I've heard it both ways. Do you guys know which way it actually I think it's Dara. I believe it's okay. Dara. Now, so well, Dara. When they say it, they have such an accent, I can't I really Dara. tell. Dara. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with Dara. Dara O'Kearney, uh, who wrote a book on, on satellite strategy, very well-known poker player, is going to be here. Uh, followed the next week, February 10th, by K.L. Cleeton, uh, who works very closely uh, with Ryan LaPlante and actually developed the Range Trainer Pro uh, tool, which uh, he's given us. Uh, given uh, access to to check it out, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's that was really, going to be really a lot of fun. Cool tool, uh, and I think we're going to go through it a little bit with KL. Uh, the next week, Ed Miller, uh, famous author, kind of one of the godfathers of, of poker strategy, he's going to be on. Uh, then we have one week open, so we're taking uh, taking uh, applications right now. Uh, we'll see. We might need to be catching our breath on <laughs> February twenty fourth, uh, or maybe that's where we get uh, Ian Matakis in or Maria Ho, who's also committed to coming back on. But then March 2nd, Jen Shahadi is going to be back. Uh, she joined us a while ago, and she's uh, she hosts the the Grid podcast, which is fantastic. Uh, we'll talk to her about how that's progressing. March 9th, Zach Elwood, uh, well-known for his books on Poker Tells, is going to be joining us. And then April 6th, uh, we have Matt Berkey uh, back on the show. He's one of those folks that people keep saying, when are you going to get Berkey back on? Uh, we love how he thinks. So he's going to be back on April 6th. Uh, he leads the Solve for Why Academy. And then we've got uh, Alec Torelli again, Ryan LaPlante, uh, others who have said they want to come on. Uh, we just kind of have to work out dates. And I think we've got enough of enough of a, uh, a stuff scheduled right now. But uh, really, really obviously excited about these guests. And I like what we talked about. You know, we're we're hoping that's not just – a name recognition thing. We say, wow, look at us. Look who we got on the show. The idea is to bring them on to get some, get some insights from them that are applicable for our game. Uh, and then to uh, help you connect with those folks. If you love how they think and you want to connect deeper. So uh, super excited, right? I'm a kid in the candy store. I mean, I'll be honest uh, talking to the folks that we've had a chance to talk to, including these guys today and the ones that we have coming up, uh, I'm pretty fired up about. So uh, any, I guess anybody on that list that you guys are, I mean, you're all, I know you're excited about all, but anybody that you're, any of you guys are kind of looking at like, man, I am really looking forward to that, that conversation. 
Just top to bottom. I don't know how you've done it. <laughs> that's that's a that's a uh, a hell of a lineup, man. It's it's going to be a privilege just to be here listening in. What a treat! Yeah, Robbie, think, uh, anybody? Yeah, I'm I'm just a huge Matt Berkey fan. Yeah, ever since I've heard him first time on the Thinking Poker podcast, and him and Andrew Brokus, you get those two minds going, yeah. and it's just it's it's phenomenal. John, do you have anybody particular? Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, listening to Fader Holtz. I he worked on the Primed Mind yeah. uh, app, and I've used that in the past and found it helpful. And you know, he, hearing his name again is thinking, you know, that's something I should probably go back to and and hmm. pick up again because it's been a while since I've made use of that. How about you, Chris? I'm I'm really looking. I mean, all of them really. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing list. But I, I am really looking forward to the Jen Shahadi uh, yeah. interview. I, I'm such a fan of that grid. It's sort of, it's it, she she gets stuff out of her guests. It's really interesting. She's got this really fascinating chess background that I think brings an interesting perspective to the way she thinks about poker. Um, so I'm 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 looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a a fun run here uh, the next few months, and hopefully it'll continue uh, beyond that. But yeah, thanks to you guys, man, it's, it's fun. You know, I think uh, you know the people that have come on the show have given good reports, and I think that word gets out uh, throughout the poker community that you know we're we're a good group of people that are going to ask good questions and, and uh, you know good insight uh, to help them uh, kind of share what's on their heart and what's on their mind. And so I think that's a, a shout out to the whole panel here that people feel good coming on the show, and obviously people talk to people. Uh, I'm sure when we invite somebody like a Fedor Holtz on, uh, they his people talk to other people's people, and uh, they find it to be a safe place to come on. So I think it's a it's a affirmation of what we're doing here and trying to build a community. And go out, listeners, go out and follow these guys on Twitter and yeah. uh, give them some love and and tell them that you heard them on the Rec Poker podcast. And uh, you know that's a great way to help us get our word out and to let them know that we're doing good things and getting there getting their voices in other people's ears. So that's a great way to help us out too. Yeah, great point. All right. Uh, so running aces players of the week last week, this one, this one hurts a little bit. Uh, I got to play three tournaments last week and I had great results, but the problem is I only played three tournaments, which left me in fifth place uh, for the player of the week. By one point, if only I had sucked enough to have to rebuy, I would have got the extra point. So I could have got the bonus lammers, but I finished in fifth. So it hurt a little bit, but Dave Elke, uh, 33 points. Bernie Conkey, the great Bernie, uh, 28 points. Daryl Windingstead, 27. And Jay Brousseau, 26. So congrats to those guys. They all pick up some bonus lammers at running aces for their uh, being players of the week. Uh, we had some binks out in Vegas. Uh, ben Gers uh, binked out in Vegas. And I have to look it up now because uh, I didn't do my homework and find out all the binks that were out on the Discord channel. So I'm going to just kind of filler space is what this is called right now. Who won the, uh, who won the mixed game uh, tournament? Was that uh, a good Canadian? It was, lad, uh, it was your Canadian dude. Yes. Matt, Mike Patrick. <laughs> I thought uh, that was right. Yeah. Patty, Patty 98. A, a recent addition to the uh, rec poker nation. If memory serves, just coming <laughs> in and dusting it up with the Yanks. Like we yeah. do. We see all those Canadians <laughs> up there on the leaderboard and, uh, our, our, our own Jim Reed was not one of those, but I was not I, a middle yeah. of the pack, middle you of the pack. Had the most fun. 
I, oh, I did. I don't know if you've watched my video, but I, I'm cracking a grin the entire time. Definitely more pl- more fun per minute than anyone else playing that game. <laughs> but I overperformed by making it out of the first orbit. I beat right. my own expectations significantly. <laughs> uh, so some other banks. Actually, it was just uh, one posted yesterday. David Bear. Uh, a lot of you guys know him from running aces. He actually won a tournament down at Canterbury. Uh, so congrats to David. Uh, Brian Morey uh, won a nice tournament online. Let me see. Let's see what else we got out here. Sorry for all this. Oh, uh, Steve Olson, uh, fantastic uh, deep run in one of the one of the big tournaments there. Uh, myself, I was able to get a bank last week, so I felt good about that. I felt really good about it, but I did take two second places, which sort of obviously it's great, but it burns a little. It burns a little. So um, anyway, so I think those are the ones that we have for binks for our rec poker members. So congrats to you guys uh, out there. And then, um, yeah, we mentioned the uh, the mixed game. So Mike Patrick from Canada. That So the Pot Limit Hold'em, Pot Limit Omaha uh, is what we did uh, this last tournament. Thanks to John Somsky for organizing that. Uh, I was able to just to chat with people today at Running Aces about it. People are finding out more and more about it. So if you don't know about this, uh, go to rec.poker slash home game. Everything is out there from how to sign up to Poker Stars through the results. Everything is out there. The schedule for the mixed games, but the first Wednesday of every month, no limit hold'em tournament. Second Wednesday of every month, the mixed game tournament. Uh, John's keeping track of all the points, so we'll do player of the year stuff. Uh, some some really cool stuff. So if you like free poker online and you want to learn mixed games or improve your no limit hold'em game, check that out. And like Jim mentioned, a few of us are recording our thoughts. Uh, as we play and then we make those available to the members and uh, man like I shared with you guys offline some of it's just hilarious Uh, some of the folks that aren't playing Omaha that are like Chris Jones for example did I win did I win no (laughs) so so it's 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 good strategy talk John Somsky of course is a genius so his is the stuff that you really want to listen to Uh, the rest of ours is more entertainment but check that out Uh, it's super fun great way to build community Uh, and then just a ton of ways that you can connect with us at rec.poker uh, you can access all of it. We have a bunch of people chatting on Discord. That's free to use. Uh, you know, we kind of rail each other, people that are in tournaments, uh, letting people know where they're at. Uh, we have the email newsletter. So all kinds of ways uh, to connect with us. So please check that out. If you're thinking, man, how do I support these guys? How do I grow the Rec Poker podcast? Like us, rate us, review us. I mean, those are kind of the big things. Uh, if you want to retweet, all that kind of stuff helps us a ton. Uh, and just let other people know uh, what it is that we have going on. So uh, as I close up, guys, anything that I missed, any announcements that you want to make? I know you guys are all kind of involved in different parts of Rec Poker. I guess the only thing I'll say is uh, February's mixed game is No Limit Deuce to Seven Single Draw. And that is known by – Doyle Brunson calls it the most pure game of poker there is. Oh. So it's a real interesting game. There's no board cards. So it's just about reading the player. Do they have it or don't they? But it's a really fun game. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. John, that's it. I'm excited to try this, but like I keep going waffling back and forth between do I try to learn the game ahead of time or not? And I'm kind of committed to I'm not going to learn the game ahead of time. Like I, I know nothing. I've never played a draw game. I've never played a game of poker without that's not Texas Hold'em or Omaha now. And so I'm going to be just I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. I'm going to do it, Steve. Do the, the Christian do it. Camp thing, you know, enter the enter the wrong tournament and win the bracelet. That's my goal. That's it. That's the best. Love it. Well, it was deuce to seven single draw that he did that in. Is that the tournament? Is that the one he did? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what he won. All right. So, so what would you? So, 
we're not going to get into the strategy of that, you know, on the show, but you know, what would you recommend for people? Just, just Google it. If they, if they're trying to figure out how that game is played, do you know of any specific resources for that game that might be helpful for our listeners that want to brush up a little bit? on? Not in particular, but just Google it. It's a low ball game, meaning you want the worst possible hand. And because it's deuce to seven, that means straights and flushes count against you. So you want, you don't want to have a flush. You don't want to have a straight. The best possible hand is deuce five, three, five, four, three, two, uh, or seven, five, four, three, two, all the way down. Right. Anyway, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's a fun game. I'm excited to try it. Yeah. So thanks again, John. So deuce to seven, single draw. Yep. No limit. Single draw. <laughs> I don't even know the name of this thing. All right, right, John. That sounds good. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Uh, Thanks, as always. Uh, Running Aces is our official sponsor for all things rec poker. Uh, They've got the new hotel that's going to be opening soon, which is going to be great, I think, for tournament poker. I think you're going to see field sizes increase. I think you're going to be able to bring in uh, tours that they otherwise wouldn't have without somewhere to stay right on site. So uh, Running Aces, Racetrack, Casino, and uh, now Hotel, uh, fantastic sponsor of the Rec Poker, uh, everything that we do. And then Learn Pro Poker is also sponsoring the podcast. So thanks to uh, to those guys. All right, so that's it. That is it for this episode. Thanks for jumping in here, guys. Uh, thanks to the panel. I mean, Jim Reed, Chris Jones, John Somsky, Rob Washam. Uh, thanks to the, to our, the poker guys uh, for being on here. And then uh, next week, I believe, uh, who did I say? We got John Redding, uh, who's going to be on here. He's been on the show early on in the early days of Rec Poker. He was on. Uh, he won a World Series of Poker bracelet a few years ago, and he's going to be a great guest uh, for next week. So with that, uh, we will sign off, and we will chat with you all later. Take care. Take care.